I have no answers for the events of this past week. Most of you know that I love children. I love spoiling your kids and hugging on them and getting them M&M high out of my office. I have no answers for the events of this past week. The images, the grieving, the pain. I, I promise you, if I knew of a pastor in the area, we would have already flown Jeff Caldwell up there, our family and grief kind of counselor, just to do whatever he can and find ever, whatever way he could help because I have no answers for the events of this past week. But we all have situations, and we all face situations where there's no answers for the events in our life. We're all left hurting and wondering, confused, reeling emotionally, numb, mentally, empty, and broken. We have faced, or we will face these situations where the pain runs so deep that we can't breathe. You can't feel, you can't think. We all face situations where we have no answers for the events in our life. So then the question becomes, when we can't find meaning in the events of our lives, since we all know we're going to face those situations where we have no answers for the events in our lives, what do we do? What do we do? Turn to Psalm 37. And keep your Bibles open or your iPad and whatever Bible device you're using nowadays. I still like carrying my Bible. But I'm old-fashioned, I know. The nation of Israel was reeling. The nation of Israel was spiritually hurting. The nation of Israel was struggling. The nation of Israel was not doing what God had desired or, or wanted them to do. And so the writer of the psalm, many who believe to be King David, writes a style of song called a psalm of lament, a psalm of pain, a psalm of suffering. The lament is found in verses 9 through 11. You can kind of scan that as I continue on. And their spiritual decline, internal struggles, personal anguish over the state of the people of Israel. And the author of the psalm was facing a situation where there no, were no advanced answers for the events in his life. So he prays. It's more of a petition, really, and that's a characteristic of a psalm of lament, a, a psalm of, of pain, a psalm of anguish, is that there's always the petition. The petition is found in verses 4 on down through verse 13. But look at verse 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? Where do I turn? Where's the meaning? How do I make it make sense? Question mark. And it's important that you ask the question but it's also important that you find the answer to the question. And it was there that his reply was, the only way to find meaning is just to keep my hope firmly planted in you. So he said, my hope, my hope is in you. Kind of cartoon. A lot of good theology in the Peanuts cartoon. Lucy and Linus were talking, and, and she said, Linus, go get me a drink of water. 
He said, why should I go get you a drink of water? You never do anything for me. She said, on your 75th birthday, Linus, I promise to make you a birthday cake. So Linus got up, went and got her a drink of water and on his way bringing her back the drink of water and he said, it's always pleasant to have something to look forward to in life. And for many people, that's all hope is. It's, it's something pleasant to look forward to. Biblical hope. Biblical hope is much more than that. Matter of fact, that word in Psalm 37 and, or 39 and verse 7 is a huge word. It, the word in the, in the Hebrew is tohelish. Tohelish. It, it means, it's a verb stem that means to tie, to bind, to twist together, to strengthen. In its noun form, it means the word rope. Biblical hope gives you something to hang on to because God is holding the rope at the other end. Now, there's three aspects to this word, Hebrew word, hope, that's found in the Christmas narrative, that's found in the Christmas story. Keep your Bible or your iPad, Bible devices, whatever, open, and follow along with me. Here's the first hope, and it's strengthening hope. Turn to Luke chapter 1. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. The angel of God appears to Mary. She's just probably maybe 14, at best 15. This angel named Gabriel appears to Mary and, uh, and tells her in verse 30, she says, Mary, don't worry. And oh, by the way, God's with you. And oh, by the way, you're pregnant. And oh, by the way, it's a boy. And oh, by the way, you're gonna call his name Jesus because your boy, Mary, is the son of the most high God. I would say that's an event in her life that didn't make a bit of sense, wouldn't you? Can you imagine Mary? I mean, here would be, and I'm gonna give it to you in the Greek as close to, to that I can to her response to the angel Gabriel, you can read it right there, and whether it's the King James or anybody, you can read it right there. But here's her response to the angel. Are you ready? In the Greek, say what? Clearly, here's an event in her life that she didn't understand. She's minding her own business. The angel appears, announces that she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. Oh, by the way, your old Aunt Elizabeth, you remember her? Yes, I love old Aunt Elizabeth. She's pregnant too. You're kidding. No, she's pregnant. And then the angel leaves. And then she thinks, oh my. How am I going to tell mom and dad? Oh my, how am I going to tell dad? I mean, honestly, how would you go home and explain to your father... No matter what generation your father is a part of, how would you go and explain to your father, dad, I'm pregnant? You know his first answer question is going to be, who's the father? God. Can you just imagine? No one understood. How could she tell Joseph? Would he understood? Would he, would he just put her away and dissolve the engagement? Remember Elizabeth that the angel mentioned there in the story? 
She leaves her mom and dad's house. She goes to her house. And when young Mary, pregnant with Jesus, greets old aunt, um, or her old aunt, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, the old aunt's baby leapt inside of her. The Holy Spirit came on her. Neither of them understood it, but they found strength together in their faith and in the promise of God's word. There is something that happens. Men, I'm telling you, we miss a huge part of this. There is something that happens when men tie it together. When men bind it, when men twist faith together with the faith of other men's lives, and then everyone is stronger because of it. That's what happened to Mary and Elizabeth. It was a strengthening faith. What do I hope for? What do I wait for? What am I looking for? My hope, he said, is in you. The second word for hope comes to us from Luke chapter 2, turn there. There's waiting hope. There's a good guy named Simeon. He's a devout man. He's a righteous man. He's an old man. Earlier in his life, God had promised Simeon that he would not die until he saw the salvation, the consolation, the Messiah of Israel. Simeon, you're going to live until you see God's son. And so on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph, on the eighth day of Jesus' life, Mary and Joseph made a six-mile trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and presented him to the priest on call that day. Wouldn't you know it, it was Simeon. When they handed the child Jesus to Simeon, Simeon immediately, this filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately says, today, I can die, and I'm going to give you the Trimble paraphrase version of the, of the passage. Today, I can die with complete joy because my eyes have seen the constellation of Israel. My hands have held the Messiah, the very Son of God. And so here's Simeon. His hope wasn't docile. His hope wasn't passive. He was continuing to do what God had called him to do, and he would wait on God and knowing that God would meet him where he was doing what God had called him to do. He was waiting. By the way, the word in the Greek here is, is prosdikomai, which means to receive the oneself. It's the idea that you're supposed to do what God has called you to do, and that you do what you are, that you do what you do as you wait for God's timing to fulfill his word and his promises and his truth in you. You wait. You wait. But we got a wrong concept of waiting. We, we think waiting is this passive event. A woman for many years couldn't sleep at night because a, a husband or couldn't sleep at night and her husband couldn't sleep at night because she was worried that her home would get burglarized. One night, her husband heard a noise in the house. He went down, found a, a robber in the kitchen. Walked right up to the thief, put his arm around his shoulder and said, come on upstairs and, and meet my wife. She's been looking for you and waiting for you for 10 years. All right, it's not quite like that. 
Waiting isn't just absent-minded hoping that something good will happen. Waiting in a biblical sense says, I believe God's word and I trust in his sovereignty. I believe in his providence and I will steadfastly wait for his timing. I will not get impatient. I will not rush it. I will wait for God's timing. There's one other aspect of waiting and hoping There's an expecting hope. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. There's an expecting hope. This is the story of of the Magi. The Magi were educated men, men of prominence, men of means, men of influence. They studied the science, mostly mathematics and astronomy. They were well-educated men. And it's interesting that they had knowledge. Oh, my goodness, these were some of the most renowned intellectual men in the world of their day. And they had knowledge but they were still searching for the meaning of life. And in their knowledge, they had charted the stars. And one night there was a star there where it had never been before. Wouldn't they have loved that iPad app where you just hold the thing up to the sky? You know, you got that one? You hold up so it tells you the stars and the constellations. Dude, they would have rocked with that thing. And for all of their knowledge, they were still absent of the meaning of life. So this star appeared where no star was there before, and they watched the star, and it seemed to move contrawise to the stars that were around it, and they figured that this star was a, was a sign from God. They didn't know who's God, but the star was moving. Somehow they, they deduced, they, they concluded that if they would follow the star, then the God of that star would be there somewhere. They were expecting to find, as they moved along, the God of the star. And so they loaded up their lavish gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They got this huge caravan full of pomp and circumstance. And they set off over almost a thousand-mile trek from the land of Persia to Palestine to Israel. They met Herod along the way and were not impressed with him. And expecting to find meaning... They came, matter of fact, look at verse 11 in Matthew chapter 2. It says that they were overjoyed because the star stood over where on the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and all of a sudden, their knowledge found meaning. They knew empirical science. They knew hypotheses and experimentation, but all of a sudden, knowledge found meaning And they bowed down and they worshiped the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the God of the star that led them there. God doesn't leave us without hope. God gives us strength. He gives us that rope of hope to hold on to. He he gives us his word and his promise that he'll fulfill it in his timing, in his will, and in his way. But he also says that there's some times when we need to pursue God's will. I've talked with quite a few folks over the last four or five years. You all know the economic situation in in our land. And I've talked with four or five folks and they say, yeah, I'm just waiting on God to give me a job. And I say, oh, where have you put in your application? Well, nowhere yet. I go, no, 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 no. Let me tell you how this works.
the wise men followed the star. They expected to find the God of the star. They found so much more than that. Expecting to find meaning, they waited for the star and hoped it would lead them to the God of the star, and it absolutely did. It's what they waited for. It's what they expected, but they got so much more than that. It was then the Magi could say with Mary and with Elizabeth and with Simeon and with the author of Psalm 39, my hope, my strength, the thing that binds me and, and holds me all together is my hope in you. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that hope. Maybe you're here today and you're still wishing. Maybe you're here today and you're still kind of hoping that you have something pleasant to look for in life. The Bible says, no, no, that you and I are to place our hope clearly in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? It's very simple. First of all, you got to realize that God is true to his word and he's going to keep his promises. And he's giving you this wonderful promise. On the other end of the rope, he says on, to you on your end of the rope, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and his promises are true to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you believe his word. You say, well, how do I confess my sin? If all of us would just bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not right now you pray this simple prayer to put your hope in Jesus Christ, to put your hope in him. And here's the prayer, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I want to live for you. From this day forward, I'm going to put my hope clearly in you and your word. In Jesus' name. Now, nobody's looking around. I promise you that. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning, you prayed that prayer. You prayed the prayer. You just asked Christ into your heart, grabbing on to the hope of Christmas and the hope of eternal life. To put your hope, as Psalm 39, 7 says, my hope in you. Did anybody pray that prayer this morning? If you did, would you just raise your hand quickly? Put it right back down. Not going to embarrass you, just trust me enough. Anyone? Oh, thank you. Sometimes church, and we say amen for that hand, look this way. Sometimes church, we hear the Christmas story. And when we don't go into it with this sense of expectancy, and we don't go into it with this sense that it's our strength, and we don't go into it waiting for God to speak to us and move us. And sometimes church Christians, we forget just all that God did for us. I want you to think, I want you to fully engage in this song. And let the word of God speak to you about all that God did so we could put our hope in his son, Jesus Christ.